Hello and welcome back to the Maluli Asset Podcast. This is episode 411, Information. Give me the info. This is your host, Casey Maluli. We've got the whole team here this week, Tim, Tom, and Brendan going around the table. We've got all four mics plugged in and, and we're ready to go. So the big story this this week is happening across the pond. We're recording this in the last couple of days of September here in 2022, and there are uh, big financial headlines coming out of the UK over the last couple of days. We've seen the whole spectrum of interventions of their central bank over there. So Tom, why don't you give us some of the details of what's happening in the UK? So I'll start by saying that a lot of people will initially say, oh, this has nothing to do with me, so I don't really care. But it's a it's a precursor of what could happen in many different governments, including ours, uh, around the globe. And so to give a little bit of a backstory, uh, Liz Truss uh, ran to become the new prime minister in, uh, in the UK, and she ran on a platform of cutting taxes. And I don't think anybody really took her seriously, but she had enough votes to win. And she, she barely won. But what really happened was her new minister of finance uh, came out last Friday and said, okay, here's our mini budget. And that's the phrase that he used, mini budget. So we're going to eliminate the top tax bracket and we're going to cut taxes for everyone. But they didn't have spending cuts to balance that out. And so while a tax cut across the board for everybody is extremely stimulative, it creates the worry that we're going to have massive inflation. And so when Ronald Reagan announced his supply-side economics, trickle-down economics, 40 years ago, this was the very same thing that people were worried about, that we're going to have tax cuts so people have more money to spend, we're going to run a deficit because we're not cutting our government spending, uh, so we're going to have massive inflation. And this is what everybody was worried about. So the first tidal wave to hit was... The, we saw the price of long-term UK bonds. They're called gilts. They dropped in a matter of a couple of days by 24%. That's a gigantic move. We don't see those kind of moves over a year. 24% in a matter of days. And uh, this really got pension plans in the UK in some serious hot water because like everyone who's been looking for more yield elsewhere in their pension plans, they've been diversifying into things like illiquid investments. So they're buying real estate. They're going into different investment strategies other than bonds and stocks to help get the returns that they need so they can pay the pensioners. That created a lot of panic. In fact, at one point on Wednesday or Tuesday, uh, BlackRock said that they would actually stop trading in certain markets because things were just locking up. There was no liquidity in these markets. So basically what happened was 
it was a combination of some of their assets being illiquid and then the rising prices of those gilts that forced the pension funds to further sell liquid things like stocks and bonds and then the problem just kind of snowballs from there yes with one correction so the rising prices were actually rising yields okay so on september 22nd the long uk bond the gilt had a yield of 3.3 in a matter of a couple of days the yield went to 4.5 that is like you don't see those kind of moves over a couple of years and it happened in days and so the average pension plan in the UK was 108, 109, 110% invested. So they were in good shape in terms of they had good liquidity, they were able to pay their pensioners, no problem. Now take a 24% haircut to the bonds. This is how you pay these people. And now it's it's gone from their uh, liquidity ratio went from something over 100% to now 74, 75%. They are running out of cash. And there's really no way to get that back. So it's essentially like a margin call. That is exactly what it was. It, it became a huge margin call, very much like the way on this, other this happens, podcasts. This happens all the time. Tales all the time. Yep. Pension funds are taking safe investments like bonds and operating within their mandate, but then they're levering them up. So that when a move happens like this, that's like a three standard deviation event wasn't supposed to happen, then they get blown up. And and it's ironic to me because you're taking a relatively uh, uh, less volatile asset when compared to you know other options that exist out there and just morphing it into a risky asset by levering it up to the hilt and uh this is this is what happens and and yeah it results in these selling cascades because it basically acts as a margin call and you've got to sell the stuff you can and you um, can't sell all of the illiquid investments that they've been right. piling into over so the years to try and juice the returns so you sell we, what you can we right. talked about how people derivatives exactly yep. right. a few episodes ago me and right. brendan talked about these alternative investments that are not publicly traded, that are they seem to offer better returns than what you can find in the market. Um, the only problem is when you need liquidity and you need money uh, to, in this case, pay the pensioners, um, you can't sell it. Right. Or you right. can't sell it fast enough. They're going to give you the cash flow that they promise, but in terms of getting access to the principal you gave them, it's not doable on a moment's notice. So, right. yeah, it's either sell the shopping center that you have or, or go to the market and see what you can get for your tech stocks. And then, uh, you know, the decision yeah. makes itself. Right. So then it really becomes a math problem in the sense that the Bank of England came out on Wednesday and said, we're going to do whatever it takes to restore or take some volatility out of the guilt, out of the guilt market. And so they went in to buy bonds. This is the Bank of England has been saying that they want to sell bonds. They want to do quantitative tightening, tightening, and now they've turned around on a dime to say, well, now we're going to do quantitative easing. So they're losing all credibility out there. But really, what's, gonna, what's the saying, though? Isn't it like if you owe the bank $100, that's your problem. But if you owe the bank $100 million, it's the, the bank's, bank's problem. problem. So that's kind of the case here. And unfortunately 
for everybody out there, you can operate responsibly with your own balance sheet and not become a forced seller. If you do, nobody is going to bail you out. But if it's systemically important, like pension funds, they're not going to let those go under. So yeah, like the Bank of England's going to come in and backstop it. And right. it happens in this country too. That's what the Fed and Congress decided to do during COVID and during the 2008 financial crisis. Correct. So the math problem in the sense that over starting last Friday and then continuing the beginning of this week, uh, the long-term bond in the UK, the gilt, lost 24% of its value. But then yesterday, when they, the Bank of England announced that they were going to backstop it, it we saw an increase of 24% in the price. So when you do the math, if you start with something that's worth 100 cents on the dollar, you take it, mark it down by 24%. Now you've got something that's 76. When you take 76 and then increase it by 24%, you're not back to even, you're at 93 or 94. And so these bonds are still down even after all that intervention. Right, but they're back to a manageable loss that is something you could have reasonably expected to occur over that period of time, which right. I think was the point of them yep. doing what they did. So yeah. people, people get all up in arms whenever governments do this sort of stuff in terms of backstopping these institutions. Um, I don't know what the alternative is. Because the, the hardos out there that are like, yeah, let them fail. Like, nobody wants to see that. No. You absolutely do not want to see that. I don't care what you say. So, Look at what happened when Lehman Brothers failed. Right, exactly. Chaos. Like, that, that, wasn't, that wasn't good. So I get that, like, you know, back to the point that I made, it feels crummy as an individual to have to take responsibility and not have the backstop and then to see, like, you know, a giant bank or pension fund get bailed out for doing what I think is definitely irresponsible stuff in terms of levering up the balance sheet, reaching for yield in these, you know, uh, obscure, opaque investments that, that don't give them liquidity. I mean, that's the sort of stuff that we've been trying to police on bank balance sheets since the financial crisis here in this country. Uh, you know, it's, it's frustrating to see them get that bailout when they're doing irresponsible stuff, when, when you wouldn't get the same courtesy as an individual. It feels, uh, right. feels like the odds are stacked against you, like yeah. it's like it's rigged. I, I understand the mentality, but I don't think the solution is let it all burn. That doesn't work either. Especially from a, a personal perspective, the lesson is don't do that. Because I think a lot of the lessons of reaching for yield, going into illiquid assets, overexposing yourself to risk can be applied to individual circumstances here. And 100% you know, agree. Yeah. Over the last couple of years before 2022, people were kind of like, where can I get some, where can I get some juice? Where can I get some extra return? I'm getting nothing on my cash. My stocks are doing their thing. But like, what else can I do to, to juice these returns? And None of those things have worked this year. Yeah. The things that juice the returns, you've, you've now seen the other side of, of what happens when we enter uh, a bad year in the market. And the reason that you can get those higher returns is, surprise, you were taking more risk. Sure. Oh, what do I do with my emergency fund? I know it's just sitting there. I'm supposed to have three to six months in cash, but cash earns nothing. Like, I should be doing something with this money. And now all of those people are getting exposed. It's funny because the approach that we take when we help people figure out how to invest is, is just matching assets and liabilities in terms of short-term assets, 
uh, for short-term needs, long-term assets for long-term needs at a super high level. Obviously, there's some in between there too, but that's, that's an approach that is adopted from the pension fund world. However, they're not actually doing it because they are so smart that they have to uh, go above and beyond that basic philosophy that, that we've borrowed from them that works well if you're actually doing what it says. But when you pretend that your levered bonds are the same as bonds or something of that nature, then things like this can happen. And, and then you're in a position to be a forced seller, which is never some, it's never some place you want to be financially. It's really hard to blow yourself up and to get yourself in, in trouble like this or to, in a personal situation. It's really hard to, to get yourself in trouble where you're going to be needing to sell your stocks to pay the bills. We can avoid those situations by keeping things simple. Right. Part of the problem, I think, with, with this stuff, though, is that it's, it's the difficult conversations that aren't, aren't being had. So these pensions, things like that, are underfunded. And rather than having the difficult conversation of we're going to have to raise taxes or otherwise find a way to uh, reduce benefits for people, same you can apply this to personal situations as well. Instead of having that conversation, they're paying people with... 20 degrees to come up with some stupid derivatives model that's going to blow up and do this when in reality they could just you know lower their uh, expectations right (laughs) we have to have we have to have these discussions with people who come to us and have an underfunded retirement by by the analysis that we can provide and sometimes people want to try to invest their way out of not saving enough and we kind of have to to give them the lay of the land and 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 sometimes the options moving forward are not the ones that they want, but you got to pick and choose what, what you're willing to do. And, and just trying to ignore reality and saying that you'll make up for it with higher returns doesn't work for institutions. It doesn't work for individuals either. And it doesn't work for municipalities or organizations either. Morgan Housel uh, had a great article this morning that he put out uh, that I retweeted talking about how you should read history to learn that a line like this time is different is ridiculous because we've seen all of these things happen before and I'm not going to go way back in history but what happened this week with the UK actually happened in 1994 with Orange County California the the almost exact same story where the uh, municipality was investing in inverse floaters and when rates moved the wrong way they were screwed and this was really the first time that a lot of people heard the term or tried to understand what the term derivatives even meant. And so uh, Orange County wound up getting a bailout. They were bankrupt. It's a nice part of the country. Uh, but they were totally upside down on their balance sheet. I guess, is that the playbook when, when you're big enough, though, is, is you know that there's a problem and you're going to try to solve it, but you just wait for the bailout. Just like, do it anyway. Yeah. That's like... Right. We saw it in 94 with uh, Orange County, California. In 1998, long-term capital management, the Federal Reserve had to step in mm-hmm. and you know, basically change the direction of what they were doing yeah, with was, interest rates to was, bail them out. It was safe yeah. investments levered up. Exactly right. With equations that said... This, this should this, work. This never, this will yeah. never happen. And right. in fact, they were... What's the saying? Picking up pennies in front of the steamroller. Right. Like they were earning these like small incremental returns, basically like shaving money off of yep. uh, you know other people, and it blew up in their faces. Yeah. So over and over, we've seen examples of this, 
And so you'd think this time, this time around we would learn, but apparently not. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to make a prediction about the future, but uh, the new prime minister in Italy is pretty much running on the same platform. So we may not be done with this story. It just seems like the you hope that they would learn in the future, but if there are no like serious repercussions for what they're doing, I, I don't put the odds of them learning well, any lessons follow, very high. Follow the incentives here. Are you expecting politicians to not do stuff like, like popular? It's very popular to lower taxes. Yeah. Always. Okay, and so if we're going to bail out these institutions anyway, who's paying for that? We're all paying for that, but it's not a tax. It's not an implicit thing that you have to announce to people and tell them they're going to be paying they're going to pay it one way or the other. Right. However, it might be from a political standpoint, uh, more. more uh, well, they technically cut taxes. Yeah. You know what? Like we, I can't. I followed through on my exactly. promise. It's disingenuous. You didn't think, pay this money we, to me in in taxes to in in right. our country, the IRS. But um, we're going to have some turmoil. We're going to blow things up. Or ultimately, we're going to backstop this institution that's important. Uh, and I don't have to tell all of you something difficult that you don't want to hear because, oh, right. I need you to elect me again, by the way. Yeah. Follow the, the incentives. Yeah. I mean, that's what, what incentive is there for them to, to come out and say the unpopular thing? That doesn't get you elected. I was no. going to say early on, like all of, all of this, everything we just talked about is self-inflicted. Like yeah. they did this to themselves. And I feel like in every case that we just outlined it, they did it to themselves. They, they were trying to follow through on a campaign promise, whether... It was the smart thing to do or not, and look what happened. So, I think moral of the story is don't do this yourself. Don't try this at home. <laughs> well, you're, right. not, you're not going to get a bailout, so I, I yeah, totally that, agree. That, that really yeah. is the big message, bringing it all home, is that we sit down right here in the conference room with folks that come in looking for help, and really, it's a balance sheet issue. It's a cash flow issue. And like Brendan said a few moments ago, People want to find a sexy investment that's going to bail them out of really a math problem or a balance sheet issue. And that's not it. Sometimes you just have to make hard decisions. Yeah, to that point, Charlie Bellello, good follow on Twitter, wrote a post exactly about this this week. And it's why saving is more important than investing. So I just want to share some numbers before we wrap up here. He looked at, he took the median household income for everyone in the United States, that's $71,000. After tax, it's just over $60,000. So he asked, was it more important to earn higher investment returns or to save more money? What had a bigger impact on their success and, and their bottom line? So if a household saved 1% of that disposable income per year and earned a 10% rate of return on that money, after 30 years, they would have a balance of $99,272. Alternatively... That's just saving 1%. Right. Alternatively, if they saved 10% versus saving 1%, so if they saved 10% of that income and only earned a 1% rate of return, they would have a balance of just under $210,000 after 30 years. Pretty good. Big difference. Big difference. Over $100,000 worth of difference just by saving more money. So the lesson is... And that's something you can control. Exactly. The rate. 
of yeah. return of what you save. Yeah. yeah. And Charlie's, uh, you know, in the first example, he showed you had to earn, save 1%, but earn 10%. That's kind of a tall task. Right. Not a guaranteed thing. Definitely right. not within your control. Yeah. So 1% doable. So took a lesson from abroad and, and brought it back home here in episode 411. That's going to do it for us around the conference table this week. Thanks as always for listening. We'll be back with you next week. Tom Maluli is an investment advisor representative with Maluli Asset Management. All opinions expressed by Tom and his podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Maluli Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast.